All right, good morning. Uh, I know little of you, most of you I've never met. Some of you I've met at various places, and uh, it's a real privilege to be here with you. This is very confining to stay under this little thing, so I may walk around. <laughs> I don't know how you did it. I was very impressed. So, <laughs> um, Let's uh, do this. I'd like to, again, seek the Lord's grace as we open the Word of God. As you do so, we'll uh, read several portions in succession, and we'll make some comments and trace a theme through the Scriptures this morning, and we hope to be done before 3 o'clock. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to come with great, a great sense of dependency upon the Spirit of God. Unless He feeds us and teaches us, we would go away hungry, and I'm, I'm very certain that it bothers you deeply to see your children, your sheep, go hungry. I'm very certain that it bothers you immensely to to see sheep scattered. We ask you that this would not be the case, and the Word of God would have its penetrating effect on the soul. We pray, Father, that we would become more like our precious Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. So if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 is where I'd like you to turn. Now in turning there, I want to introduce our uh, discussion by uh, dovetailing off not only what our brother Keith has said, he mentioned in several places the priest, and last night I simply said that there are fundamentally several things that happen to your spiritual physiology Uh, when you were born again, and those are kind of important things. They are necessary for your life and development, and nonetheless, there are several things that happen to you as a believer when you are born again. And one of those things that he did is said he united you with Christ. We don't often think of that as as, uh, something that happens so fast, it happens so quickly, but yet in baptism, we see that truth, and we united with him in the likeness of his death and raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. So many things happen that are, are vital for our functioning, for our vitality, for our growth, for our service. And, and one of those things that happened was that he actually made you a very special people. Not special looking, not special thinking or smart, but he made us a very unique body of people carved out, as it were, from the masses of humanity. It was his desire that it would be all of humanity, but sin had a way of stepping in the middle. And so God did everything in his power, which was everything in the storehouses of heaven, to make it possible for us to actually have a title of priest or priestess, if I may. Now, this truth is, is really, really sort of littered in only a few places in the New Testament. And what I'd like to do this morning is just show how it originated and why it was so important to the heart of God. Because when I see how precious it is to Him, it becomes precious to me. So that's where we want to go. So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll begin reading, where are we? Oh, in verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices of acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, I, therefore it is also contained in the Scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word which they also were appointed, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Brethren, our beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Just that reading alone, I think, kind of bespeaks to us some of the importance of what he's saying, because it has an effect directly upon our behavior, upon our presentation. And so he ends that paragraph, or the paragraph that I ended, it ends with that tone attached to it. And in the middle, or in the beginning and the middle, is this whole idea of priesthood. It's what we were made. It's a, it was given to us as a gift. Now, you have to ask yourself, well, Steve, is this the only, only Scripture in the New Testament that talks about the priesthood? Well, no, it's not. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. Just want to read to you something there that was written by John uh, through the uh, uh, guidance of the Spirit of God. John, uh, Revelation chapter 1, and I'd like to begin reading in verse 4. Just follow along with me. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. I really like that, by the way covers all time elements. Don't you like that? And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and listen to this, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, is that the only other portion of Scripture that this is mentioned? No, it's not. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. It goes like this. And the scene, as you may recall, is sort of this uh, title deed exchange of the, of the earth and, uh, and the celebration of the one worthy to take that title deed. If you look in verse 8, it goes like this. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each having a harp and, a golden, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Listen to that. They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests 
to our God and we shall reign on the earth. My point is simply this. You have three scriptures in the New Testament that use this word priest. And you find that in in 65 AD, when Peter wrote, that he introduces this concept. Now, by the way, it's also introduced in similar terminology, although not the exact terminology, in Titus chapter 2, when Paul uses the phrase, his own special people, borrowed from that very paragraph, as it were, included in that very paragraph in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you have in 65 AD, you have this concept there, the priest of the believer. That's, that's our lot. That's what happened to us when we were born again. We were granted this sort of title and responsibility. Then you speed up the clock and you come to Revelation chapter 1, written in 95 roughly, A.D. And so now what, 30 years later, you have the Apostle John writing the last book of the New Testament. And guess what? It shows up again. There it is, right there. And he made us kings and priests to our God. And, it, and somehow that's related to bringing glory to him, right? So it's sort of like now spanning three decades of church truth, actually before that. But from the moment we heard about it in First Peter to the moment we hear about it in Revelation again, chapter 1, it's spanning all those years. That's several generations, isn't it? Right? And then you get into Revelation chapter 5, and that scene is in heaven, and we're there. That's kind of the uh, translated up to heaven in chapter uh, 4. And now we're standing there, and, and here's the lamb, and we see him, one that is slain. And then it causes us to sing a, 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 a quite a new lyric, right? And, and, and the very things that we sing about in the lyric of our song is about being priests. I, I would think I could sing about a lot of other things, right? You know, I I could think of a lot of other terms to describe what he's done to us and for us. But in this song, inspired by the the Spirit of God in the New Testament, now speaking of a day yet future, it's like we never forgot what he did to us. We never forgot what he made us. In other words, we're going to be priests and we're going to be singing about this forever. Now, the problem is that if I go to the average New Testament believer today and I say, isn't it great? You are a priest of God. You'll go, where's my cloak? Don't I need to have, you know, we, we think about that from, from our culture and you got to have this thing. Um, um, what are you doing? All right. This has nothing to do with, with how you dress and has nothing to do with, with how you walk and, and, and how you, 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 you demonstrate external. This is a truth that is so fundamental to the heart of God that he allows it to be littered across all of the generations of the New Testament writers and will be part of our song when we're all gathered together looking at the one that was slain. I kind of think this is important. I'm just saying. I'm just thinking out loud. And so, I think it's important for us to give it some very special consideration. Now, in order to do so, I think it would be nice for us to look backwards just for a moment. I'll get to the definition of what the priesthood of the New Testament is, and we'll talk about its implications and ramifications. We'll talk about where it, uh, its interface with some of the priestly orders of the Old Testament, but let's just talk about why it seems to be so uniquely dear to the heart of God, right? 
Because if I see it from his perspective, then all of a sudden I want to treat this little precious stone like it's a diamond, you see. And that's, that's, that's important for our functioning, our spiritual functioning as a believer. All right? So if you go back to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, let's just go back and re- refresh our minds there with the word. So 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to take your focus to verse 9. To verse 9. Now read it with me again, and you want to notice the collection of, of phrases that describe us. It's as if he's, he's searching for more descriptions about how unique and precious we have become to the heart of God. So he goes like this. He says, but you are a chosen generation. He says this, you are a royal priesthood. And we'll talk about what royal means in a minute, in a, in a little bit, but just focus on the word priesthood. You are a holy nation. His own special people. All right? Now, if you look at those terms, they're actually borrowed from several places in the Old Testament. One of them, I think, was in Jeremiah, and the other is in Exodus. That's where a lot of these terms were taken. And so I think it's important that we look in Exodus chapter 19. Let's do that. Exodus chapter 19. Now, in Exodus chapter 19, we uh, break into the uh, biblical plot of um, being rescued out of, ex, uh, out of Egypt. Now, it's interesting what happened in Egypt, right? Not only the miracles, but how do you take a group of people? Uh, our brother quoted two million. If I did the math, now every average family probably had, like my family, nine children. Okay? So if you did the math, it's five million. Five million. But if, if I'm overestimating, we could go to 4.2 million is what I really had. But anyway, so if you did the math, you know, there's, there's, there's some, several million people, all right, in this, in this Goshen, this delta of the Nile up north. And their whole history has been slavery for 400 years. You know what that means, right? They were told what to do, when to do, how to do every day of your life. That's all you knew. You couldn't do anything else except what you were allowed to do. There were no freedoms. There were no, no um, uh, uh, certain kind of privileges. You were a slave. That's what you were. And the element of slavery, of, of oppression, was escalating in the last, and if you look historically, probably the last hundred years or so of that 400 years in Egypt. So, as you came to the time of Moses, all that you could think about, your cultural perspective as a young person growing up in that environment, was you had no choice but to simply accept what was the status quo. Right? This is why it was so revolutionary for Moses to come up with this idea, who was trained, by the way, to be the next Pharaoh, and then to have it all taken away. And Moses' life was in danger, and now he's now back in the wilderness 40 years. And so for him to come back and to say to people, well, God's met with me, and he's going to deliver you, you know, I, I can just see their faces like, are you sure? Are you sure? Prove it, you know, and of course, he did several things to prove it. But their mindset would be totally different. A a group of people, five million people, four million, whatever it was, 
all thinking on a different level of society, a different level of human existence. It's hard for us to understand. You know, our culture is, as you mentioned, you deserve a break today. Have it your way. All those old commercials, whatever you want, you get because all it takes is a little money, right? But then there wasn't any of that. And so for him to take a group of people who were slaves, who had everything sort of outlined, and then make them a nation, functioning soci- a functioning society, that's the miracle, isn't it? I mean, you, if you don't have a functioning society with, with rules and, and sanitation and, and civil order, you'll implode instantly, right? So this is a, a big, a big event. And so meeting at Mount Sinai, that was very pivotal. Does it make sense, right? It may, it's very important, this meeting. Now, the first meeting of the people with God was in this Exodus 19, where it's going to kind of be the formal introduction And so all you had at this point was you had remembered what had happened in Egypt, probably about a year's worth of of miracles and and plagues coming upon them. And the last one was the biggie, where where there was such death in all the land, not just of the animals, now of the prize uh, of each family, the firstborn. And so this is graphic. And then you remember walking to the, uh, going to the Red Sea, of course, complaining, which was the normal motif of that group, and mine too, I might add, and, and the, the sea opening up, and the whole thing is just so dramatized and, and so ingrained. Now this is impressive what's happening, and now we're going to finally meet Jehovah. We're going to meet him at Mount Sinai, and we're walking up, and Jehovah is, is, is indeed making an impression. He's making a statement, and the whole scenario would be quite frightening for us if we were of that people group. Right? So let's read what it says. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. And they had departed, for they had departed from the Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Now Moses went up to God. And the Lord, called him from, he, the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to the children of Israel, You have seen what I have done, or what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be, now notice this, a special treasure." To me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now at this point, you should think, hey, that sounds like the terminology that we read in First Peter. And the answer is, it is, a, it is similar terminology. Not because we are becoming Israel, but because we are seeing how precious this concept is to the heart of God. You see, uh, what had happened was, was at the fall, Satan came along, and by deception, he was able to take uh, the woman and, and bring her to himself, and to disobey and doubt God. But for the man, he didn't deceive the man. Man volunteered to disobey. Man volunteered to be disloyal. Man volunteered to, 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 to forsake. That's what it says there. That's why God is very specific with, with Adam. And he says, you disobeyed when I told you. And he spells it out, right? And so if you're, if you're going to try to sabotage anything and, and, and you've been kicked out of the headquarters of heaven, what's the next best thing you can do? Steal whatever you can. Steal loyalty. 
steal obedience, steal, steal everything you can to diabolically uh, erode the sense of, of oneness, right? And so God creates his mankind and he creates this, this beautiful uh, earth and creation and, and man and woman and they're in fellowship with the Lord. Oh, what a better way to really put a stake in the heart of things if you could just steal all that pinnacle of glory from God. Right? And what is man? Man represents the glory of God, right? And so he steals that away. And so when he comes through those many generations to this one very pivotal point of now reestablishing through a family and therefore a people group where they would be his own special possession, this is kind of important. This is something that he's been focusing and leading up to. Of course, ultimately, it would lead up to the cross where he'll do this and make it available for all of mankind, not just one people group. So he, got, he has, and historically speaking, this people group together, and, and it's kind of now come to that point where, where those promises made several hundred years prior could, could actually be fulfilled. And so he says it, and he poured, I can just see, if I were me, the emotion of my heart, and I've been waiting for this moment, and here it is. You know how you do that with your kids? I do that. I tell them, I said, listen, we, got, we, need to, we need to manufacture bachan steak sauce. Bachan is Japanese. My, I'm, my mother's Japanese for this really great sauce that she makes. And I know it would be a wonderful seller. And I said, and this would be a great plan of your dad. What do you think? And they're going, yeah, 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 we'll do that. Right? Here's, here's God, and I don't mean to, to paint him in such a, a, a silly light, but, but here's God, and, and, and all that has happened, and all that has occurred to the human race, and all those generations where, where there was the flood, and the restoration, and, and then Abraham, and, and Jacob, and Isaac, and now Egypt, and Moses, and now we got to this point where we're actually getting somewhere in the grand plan of God, and he's going to lay it out there, and says, Moses, this is it, and I'm going to tell you this, and we're going to do that, and he's spilling it out to the people and he says this in verse 6 and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel this is pretty precious now this is important to me and so Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded then all the people answered and said all that the Lord has spoken we will do they understood the value of it too they understood the moment of 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 emotion and and, and interest of God so so Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord And the Lord said to Moses, now behold, I've come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to uh, Moses, now go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. I guess they had no laundry mats. Anyway. And let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down upon the Mount Sinai in the sight of the people, and you shall set bounds, notice that, set bounds for the people all around, saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow. Whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. And Moses went down to the mountain and the people, to the people, and sanctified the people and washed their clothes. And then they talked about restraining in terms of physical relations. But notice verse 18. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke. 
because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of the furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. Stop right there. All right, so this is, this is impressive. You've, you've got everybody gathered. Moses goes up, he talks to the Lord, he comes down, and here's how it goes. Okay, everybody, listen up. We're standing here and God's gonna meet us in a couple of days and we need to get cleaned up and we need to separate out, we need to get ready. And by the way, when you come out to meet the Lord, don't, don't go touch the mountain. Don't, nobody touch the mountain, okay? I would be in the crowd going, uh, how come? You know, I'd be one of those kids going, I'm not touching it. I'm not, t- I'm not touching, you know. I would be a freaking out father. Don't go near it. Don't, you're going to die. You know, I'd be one of those guys, right? I, I mean, this would be kind of frightening, right? So then the, the Lord comes, he descends, and now, <laughs> now the sunny sky is full of gray, right? And not only that, I'm, I'm seeing smoke. I don't see fire. And not only that, I'm seeing lightning and I'm hearing thunder and I'm hearing blasts of trumpets, which I know is not thunder. And I'm hearing all this. And not only that, the earth underneath my feet is kind of wiggling back and forth. Now, I've been in an earthquake or two and I was, I was young then and I was scared then and I'm scared, still scared today, right? I've been in one and it was shaking and the whole house was moving and, and I, was, I, was, I was a wreck actually. You know, I can just see this happening and everybody, oh, we're going to meet the Lord. We're going to get this great plan and let's go. Everything you say we'll do. And so we go out. Don't even come near the mountain. Don't touch it. And then he says, and don't even look. Less many of you die. I can see that. I'm not looking. I'm not looking. Can you hear that? The whole thing would have been incredibly frightening, incredibly majestic and yet paralyzing at the same time. And that's the scenario in which God says, I want you to be my own special people. I don't think so. I don't know what you're talking about. But I'm afraid that all I got to do is one eye and I'm dead. I don't know. You see the point? It was majestic, glorious, and at the same time, fearful. That was the whole idea. Okay, so it goes up. We have the Ten Commandments are given. The Ten Commandments are given, written in stone by the finger of God. Don't you like that? Wonder what the finger was made of. I mean, that's got to be, whoa, how did you do that? Right? Moses went up with nothing, and he comes down with something. I don't know. I would be kind of frightened. So he comes down. Now notice the meeting on the back end. This is in chapter 20, verse 18. Goes like this. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. See, we 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 go back to how it was. What I just described: the thundering, the light, and we're seeing all this. And and Moses is kind of now coming out. We can see him coming out in the midst of it all. And and the people saw it and they trembled and they stood where? They stood right up near the mountain, right? I'll read it. It says they stood far off. They stood way back. I'd be way back. I'd be in the next county. Right? That's where I would be. And he goes like this. And they said to Moses, I tell you what, I can see Moses is over there. Moses, you speak to the Lord. 
All right, can you hear this? You speak to the Lord, but let God not speak with us. Okay, that goes against the whole idea of being a priest, you see. The priest, by definition, is to draw near, right? That's what a priest does. He, he draws near to God, and God draws near to him. That, that's the whole point. And yet, when the concept was introduced, and when the display of majesty and, and, and austerity was presented, the reaction of the people at this moment was, seems to me to be in the opposite direction. All right? So, I don't know. That kind of hurt me. Have you ever, I, don't, I, I have no idea if you celebrate Christmas, but if you do, do you ever have one of those great moments of Christmas morning giving? You know, when you work really hard to get that gift for that special someone, usually a child. And they get down there and you're excited because they're going to open it up and you've taken time. You've, you have fought people to get this gift. You have stolen parking spots to get this gift. You have pushed the older grandma away so you could get this gift. And you now you got it. And now you wrapped it. It was 4 a.m. You finally assembled it. And you get it all together. And you're going, okay, Johnny, here's your gift. And you pull it back. And he goes, wow. What else is there? Right? Did that ever happen? Yeah, everybody laughs because it happens. Right? And at that moment, you go, but, but, what did that <sighs> kind of hurts, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Here they are. <laughs> the, the culmination of history at this, mo- at this point in time is now coming to this really significant event. And God's saying, I want you to know, you will be my special pr- people, holy, a royal priesthood. You'll be for me, and we'll be together, and it'll be fantastic. And he presents it, and they go, ah, I'm not sure about this. I'm not, Moses, could you take care of that part? And we'll, now I'm not saying they rejected God's offer. Actually, he got passed on the air and down the road a few chapters. But what I am saying is that they're a little reticent about this thing. Now let's speed up the uh, historical biblical clock. We go through all those years of, of judges and kings and prophets and, 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 and we have those 400 years of silence and now the Lord Jesus comes and he, he travels those 30-odd years and those three years of his ministry and ends up on a cross and ends up in a grave and ends up on a throne, right? And now we have the New Testament being authored by men who are designated messengers of God. And part of the message goes like this. And I will make you a a holy priesthood. And I will make you a special people and a royal priesthood. And you'll not only know it in 65 AD, you're going to know it at the end of the first century. It'll be part of the doctrine of the early church all along that way because it's written in those two different uh, letters at two different periods of time. And by the way, you'll be singing about this thing that God will want from you and for you and to you all for all of eternity. I'm thinking here that this is probably a very, very, very important thing to the heart of God. And that's why we want to look at it. Because the last time I checked, serving as a priest dedicated, solely dedicated and loyal to God himself has tremendous ramifications, has tremendous implications. And that's what we want to look at this week. Does that make sense? 
Say, I don't want to be the person that actually God gives a gift, which I tend to do very, very well. And, and, and I say, oh, that's nice. And I leave it in the garage. I leave it on the shelf. I had gifts like that when I grew up. They're really nice. I wanted them. I told my parents I wanted them. They got it for me. I put it in my closet. And now I'm, tw- now I'm 25 years old. I still have that gift. And it's like it never meant anything to me. I don't want to be like that. I actually want to be the kind of person that approaches the things of God and say, this is fantastic. I can't believe that you would, you would give me this gift. I want to know everything about it. I want to know how it works. I want to know how you think about it. I want to know how you want it done. I want to know everything about it because this is a fantastic, fantastic element of my inheritance that I want to enjoy to its fullest. The problem is, is that many of us are not enjoying the inheritance of God to its fullest. Interesting about inheritance, you know, in our side of, of humanity, you only really get the inheritance until somebody dies. Then you enjoy it. You know, it's either the person or the inheritance, right? So the Lord did it this way. He died, he rose again, and he gives you the inheritance. And so both of you can enjoy it together. It's a ruin, win, win, isn't it? I think that's really brilliant in my mind. And so here we are, and we got this tremendous load of inheritance just waiting to be opened. And I'm wondering sometimes if the God, our Father in heaven, is saying, just undo the wrapper. Just untie the bow. Just see what's inside. You will love this. Right? And a lot of us, we're scurrying around. And whoops. And we're walking. Oh, I'm sorry. A lot of us are scurrying around. A lot of us are walking around in life. And we haven't had a clue and appreciation about not only the beauty and richness of what he's given, but the cost that it take to get, that it was t- that the cost that it took to give it. And I don't want to be like that. I want to I, see. I think that's what makes the difference for the believer today, that we so value the incredible worth of what God is, who God is, and what He's done, that we don't have any other loves because His. Value is such great. We call that worship, right? We declare his worth in that manner. All right, let's, uh, let's close. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, we have taken a moment just to peer into the pages of your word. And in so doing, we have taken a moment to just see, this is kind of important to you. This is something that we could actually trace through the entire word of God. And then we have the same terminology given to us in our dispensation. And when you do that, I confess to you that I have not nearly valued the grandness of what you've done for me and the gift that you've given. I instead have been taken up with other things. I instead have been diverted to other projects or loves Lord, let us not be that kind of people. We, wanna, we, want to, we want to love you and we want to know what you've done for us in a manner that returns our love to you. Father, would you allow your spirit to work in our hearts this way today? In Jesus' name, amen.